welcome back, and here we go for another episode of FileMaker Talk. Ready? Let's dance. FileMaker Talk. FileMaker Talk. It's the FileMaker Talk theme song with Matt and Matt, brought to you live once a year. <laughs> uh, the semi-annual FileMaker podcast. <laughs> I don't even know if we've hit semi-annual since this is one year now. I think it's semi every two years. There's biannual, semi-annual. Let's not get into that debate. Oh, That's geez. a fun one, though. Well, hopefully there's enough people that still, uh, this is in their feed, that they'll actually uh, listen or hear what we've got to say. If not, when we get back to doing it um, regularly, which is definitely my intention. Uh, and now that I have Calendly, it's super easy to make appointments with me. Like hey. the whole, the whole like issue of, oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> the whole issue of like sending emails back and forth to try to set an appointment is so dumb. Yeah, no, that's, I, I forget who I picked that up from, but I've been using it for a long time for my consulting. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. You just get, just pop an appointment on my calendar and it just appears you don't have to schedule it automatically. Uh, I'm making an ad here. It looks at all of my calendars and doesn't overlap any of them. Oh, I and only also, use it on one calendar. It actually considers multiple and yeah. then weeds out your availability time. Yep. Oh, I was only using uh, the availability option. So on Calendly, you just specified the blocks of times that you wanted to be available. But if you, yeah, I haven't used it with multiple calendars. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I Well, I use the Calendly... Well, I use the, the block of time thing so you can schedule within certain hours, but then it automatically looks at the appointments that I have on multiple calendars, one in Exchange and one in Google and one in Apple, I think. Dang, that's pretty cool. I've only ever and used it just with one calendar. That's all with the free version too. Ooh. Wow. And I'm a paying customer. I should maybe get myself some more calendars. Yeah, you should up your game. I thought about doing the paying <laughs> thing because then you can have multiple appointment types, but. I don't want to um, be busy. <laughs> i do i, I enjoy more. getting out and playing a little bit of sports it's really strange but right now in my career i'm actually looking for more stuff to do which has not been the case for a long time ah, well are you doing anything with javascript <laughs> oh are you leading right into our topic for today here is our topic for today javascript and filemaker bleeding edge leading edge or mainstream and go. <laughs> and it depends on where you are in terms of your needs and the solution. It can't depend. We have to, you have to have a definitive answer. Um <laughs> for me <laughs> mainstream. And I'll I'll yeah. when it when it comes to my term, I'll uh, my turn, I'll tell you the my story. It's your turn. Go. Oh, okay, it's my turn. All right, I'm working on a project with um, a very talented developer that we're getting ready to release. It's a tool for FileMaker developers. And hmm. the the menu system that we came up with, it uses Virtual List. And Virtual List, if you haven't used it, I'll try to do my best to explain it. It is simply a one-to-one -one match between values that are return delimited in a global variable to a portal where each row of that portal simply shows each line of a value that's in that memory or in that uh, yeah, you're talking variable. about the glue of how to do it, but you're not going you're not talking about what it actually accomplishes. It it turns a let's say return separated list like a global variable into a portal without having to create records in a in a table or do any other workarounds like we've had to do in the past. Yes, it essentially there? uses the portal purely as a display mechanism. Yep, exactly. By And you can drive it with different types of data, which is great. Anyway, so you've got a tool for FireMaker developers, which, by the way, is automatically bleeding edge, but go ahead and continue. So <laughs> in order to do a really effective menu system where you are managing a lot of data in memory in a global variable... Mm -hmm. The best thing to use is JSON. So mm -hmm. FileMaker has its JSON function since FileMaker 16. Well, in this menu system, 
really in the portal, you're only displaying one value, just the name of whatever that menu is. But there's many different things that happen when you click on that portal row. You need to know the script that you want to run. You need to know the parameter that may go with that script. If that is a containing row, meaning it's a particular row if you're dealing with hierarchy, it needs to know what is its state. Is it expanded or is it collapsed? And how many children does it have? And what should it show? And do those children have children? And... It can go on if you have a multi-level right. hierarchy, you know, for five, six, seven, eight levels deep. Well, in order to manage that, you're not going to be able to do that with native FileMaker tools. Yeah, that's for sure. First off, you're dealing with JSON. But second, yeah. you're dealing with a lot of uh, uh, multi-dimensional arrays and sub-arrays. Mm -hmm. And there is nothing that beats JavaScript's array functions. You have okay. so many functions that you can do things to these multi-dimensional arrays that to do it in FileMaker, literally it's just it doesn't it doesn't even make sense. Especially when you consider the speed of JavaScript, it's almost instantaneous mm -hmm. compared to some of the things. Like for example, I showed uh, a video I did a while ago uh, of how fast JavaScript was by generating 10 million items. Mm -hmm. you, you click a button and it happened in less than half a second in wow. JavaScript. But if you did that in a FileMaker loop, it took five seconds. So and if it was creating records on a hosted database, it would be, you know, a day. <laughs> exactly. So I mean, <laughs> no, but it would it'd be slow though. If you need to deal client side with a lot of data and a very complex multi-level hierarchical menu using virtual list, JSON and JavaScript are, it's the way that you have to go. So you're going to use... Mm -hmm. JavaScript and its uh, array functions, in particular, like the um, the dot filter method, allows you to look across. Uh, let's say it's a multi-dimensional array that has, I don't know, fifty thousand items total, all embedded within each other. It will do that in fractions of a second, milliseconds, like just lightning fast. To get clarification, a couple of things. When you said menu system, I was thinking like button bars and navigation, but that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about a hierarchical list. Yeah, like they call it a tree. So it's basically, yes. you know, you have, a, you have a genesis item, which is the root, and then within that you have children, and it can have children, and those mm -hmm. all of that whole tree is ancestors. And let's say you have, you know, your right. sidebar is, it could be navigation. It has, you just have five places that the user could go. But within those five places, let's mm -hmm. say the one place of customers could have multiple different subcategories. You know, customers with open invoices, customers with uh, open POs, customers with... All of those are different oh, scripts yeah. so we're not, that do yeah, different yeah, yeah. things. So you're talking about, like, the, the data that can show in every part can really come from different tables, different places. This yeah. is cool. So there's been a lot of different systems over the years in FileMaker. I even thought you did one to, to come up with hierarchical lists, but they've pretty much all gotten data from, like, one table. Yeah, so, this is, if you fully drive it based on something that's in memory using virtual list and using mm -hmm. JSON, you can put whatever you want in there. For example, uh, one of the scripts that we use can basically inject a menu into this uh, sidebar menu at any place that it wants to dynamically based on whatever layout you go to. So if you go to a particular layout and it needs new menu items, you just inject those into the JSON, and they just show up in that sidebar in the virtual list. Uh, one of the keys on this large uh, blob of JSON is visibility. So by simply using one value of visibility, you can set a filter on your portal such that the only items that ever show are the ones that currently say themselves, hey, we are visible, we should show up in the menu. And that's how you actually hmm. control the expanding and collapsing of items and show children and you know grandchildren and so forth. That's cool, because I think in other iterations of this technique, you had to do like a looping script or something like that. No, it's, uh, it's and it, it's, I, when, you, you, when you use JavaScript to manipulate mm -hmm. the arrays, it is damn near instantaneous it's just freaking yeah. fast and awesome it's client side so it's specific just to what the client is doing on the menu doesn't affect anybody else on the system yep and so the other developer long story i mean 
short story mm-hmm. long now, the other developer that I was working with has not been familiar with JavaScript. And so it was through this introduction to the menu system that I implemented into the tool, mm-hmm. she, she said, okay, I've got to learn this. And so she sat down and that was the impetus to give her the reason to start to create and learn JavaScript for the purpose of the functions. And so, and she's getting it now. And once you get the taste of the power, you're just like, oh, this is incredible. Yeah. So talk to me about the the, the JavaScript moving parts to make this work. And I guess I have two questions. One of them is like, how how much effort and difficulty was there in, in writing the JavaScript to get this hierarchical menu? And two, in implementing it, like when this tool comes available to uh, us in the community, um, and I'm totally going to look into it. Um, how easy is it going to be to implement and how much JavaScript are we going to have to touch as users? Here's the great thing about JavaScript. And I think for, for FileMaker developers who have been avoiding it, I think any language that you're learning, the overwhelming aspect is looking at the mountain of things that you could know or you think that you might have to know. But that's not a good way to approach a new language. Mm -hmm. The best way Mm -hmm. to approach it is, what is my current problem? Is there something in that language that addresses it? And then you go out and research it. Now, the stumbling blocks are what, what and how can you do things in FileMaker versus what's out there that you find. So right, one of the right. learning lessons that, that this other developer had was that I had to explain to her is there's different versions or what they call, fla- I call them flavors in my head, of JavaScript. Mm-hmm. There's what they call ES5 and then there's ES6. So at each point of JavaScript's evolution, they have these new variations that come up with different ways of doing things. So for example... Um, ES6 supports this syntax called arrow syntax, where prior to that, you had to write an actual, you had to write the literal word that says function, you're opening Mm -hmm. and you're closing parenthesis, and then you have opening and closing curly braces in order to put the rest of your executable code. Mm -hmm. That was in ES5. And what they did is they said, well, okay, we want to make it easier for JavaScript developers let's give them this thing called arrow syntax in ES6, which shortened it so that you didn't have to have the word function. You just had to have the two parentheses, your inbound parameters, and you use this little equals plus the greater, uh, yeah, less than, greater than sign. That's a confusing aspect to a lot of developers because in FileMaker, you can use whatever flavor or version of JavaScript is available. And so here's an interesting, we were using the base elements plugin. The base elements plugin goes out, they find a JavaScript engine, a library that they embed into the plugin that runs inside of FileMaker. Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out that that only supported ES6. So I would go and create a video. In fact, I just created a video, I think, two or three weeks ago about how to learn JavaScript. And it has a simple FileMaker file, which will execute JavaScript in FileMaker using FileMaker's native tools. Mm -hmm. Now, FileMaker goes uh, to the browser. So whatever JavaScript engine is embedded in the browser in WebKit on the Macintosh, and then I think... On your platform, yeah. Yeah, on uh, Edge, whatever it is, it's probably ES6 compatible. It supports ES6. So you could go to the web, you can copy something from Stack Overflow and pretty much expect that it'll work inside of the FileMaker native by communicating with a web viewer. Mm -hmm. But if you try that in a base elements X evaluate JavaScript function, it won't work because that's ES6. So that's where developers get frustrated because they're like, I copied this code from the web, I'm running it through the base elements plugin and it won't run. And that's simply because you don't know that, oh, well, they didn't implement an engine that supports the code that you're actually copying. And that's right. frustrating is when you get something, it won't work. You don't know why. You use it somewhere else in like a separate editor and it just mm-hmm. runs. And you're like, FileMaker, you're broken, you're stupid or something like that. Mm-hmm. Sure. So that those are the key things is if you're listening to this and you've, you learn there's a difference 
there's always a difference in terms of what you can technically do based on the limitations of what was implemented in terms of the technology. So, yeah, that's totally important to know. And that's definitely been the case with other technologies added into FileMaker. You hit on, you hit on two things that I wanted to ask more about. You talked about using the base elements plugin, which is free, so people can get that and use it. Mm-hmm. And you also talked about doing it directly in FileMaker in a web viewer. Yep. Is there any other way to run JavaScript natively in FileMaker? There's, there's primarily three ways. Mm-hmm. The first way is natively using the web viewer, um, which FileMaker should have implemented it the way that plugins have implemented it, being able to call an engine directly. There's plenty right. of open source code that they could have implemented. They had the web viewer. They just decided to use that route or at least make it so that you can use the web viewer without it having to be on the layout. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Number two is a plugin. And there's multiple plugins that support it. Base Elements has a, a JavaScript function. MBS has one. Bbox has one. Um, these plugins, many of them can be run clients uh, server side. So mm-hmm. you don't even have to do the JavaScript on the client. You can do it on the server. But if you're wanting to distribute load and you don't want to overload your server, sometimes it's better to do it on the client. Mm-hmm. In that scenario, you just need to know what library did they use. For example, base elements, they used one called duct tape, I think. And that JavaScript engine is limited to ES5, and you can't do a lot of the, you can't copy and paste code just super simply without modifying it yeah. from the web. You said you said base elements a couple times with ES6, but I think you meant ES5. Yeah, base elements is ES5 using okay. uh, duct tape library. And I'm um, sure that's going to change at some point because you know they they were they're pretty on it. Anyway, oh, continue. So they they have no control. The library that that uh, Nick and um, Oh, I forget, I think it's Mark, um, that they decide to implement, mm-hmm. they're beholden to whatever library they choose to implement because they're not actually writing that library. So duct tape, that, but they, until it goes to ES6, will be ES5. That's what I mean. So like when the library changes, then there will be a version of base elements in the future that will run ES6 yeah. is my prediction. And so the the other way, the third and final way to execute mm-hmm. it is if somebody hasn't implemented a library is to go out to the operating system. And you're always mm. able to, using a plugin, go out to the operating system and use whatever technology is installed on the operating system. So if you needed to run uh, JavaScript in the operating system, you would install uh, Node.js. I'm sure you've heard of that. Mm-hmm. So Node.js is the is Google's implementation of a JavaScript engine. I believe it's called V8. It's super fast. And that's basically just passing are making a system call. You're calling to the system, telling the system, hey, run this code in whatever language. You can use PHP, Python. Mm-hmm. Node would be one of them that lets you run JS. And then that will come back. That third way, if you're going to go that route, the best thing to do there is to just use it server-side because you can never rely on the client having an installation of the technology that you need. But if you control the server and you install it on server, then you can use FileMaker's perform script on server, pass all the JavaScript you want to Node, get the result through a plugin, and then that'll come back and show up for the client. Got it. So that has to be plugin-based? You can't you can't pass a PSOS something to the server and have the server call no, out without a nothing, plugin? No, there's nothing in FileMaker natively that allows you to communicate with the operating system. I mean, truly, if FileMaker was to implement just a few things that plugins have done, yeah, there's there's nothing you wouldn't be able to do natively by being able to communicate with the OS. But as soon as you, so can, you can talk yeah, with the OS, you're not talking about like running Apple scripts or things like that, are you? You know, Java or like a. It's just it's just going out to the operating system and and telling the operating system whatever you want it to do, which is directly analogous to opening the command line. Mm-hmm. Any binary that you find on the command line, if that's installed on that machine and you can have it do something, you're just needing to right. get the result of that back into FileMaker. And so the bridge currently is a plugin. But if FileMaker made the feature natively, then you'd be able to do it without a plugin. Got Usually it. the issue I, is security, because as soon as you give access to yep. about the OS, then Claris is like, okay, now we've got to make you know some security set up here so that people can't actually just go screw up servers. 
Right, because like normally, like a plugin or anything really on the server would run as the FileMaker user and have limited access. It wouldn't be able to do anything. But if some other database is running on the server that can make a plugin call, then you could read all of the directories and do things that you for sure should not be able to do just by having a plugin like Base Elements on the server. Oh, sure. So there's a potential threat. Yeah, within a hosted environment, when they were doing shared hosting before FileMaker didn't want to do that. If mm -hmm. base elements is installed, and I mean, that's a few seconds. If you have code, I actually wrote some code where I tested it, you could get mm -hmm. in and in less than a second, determine whether there were other databases. And if they were there, just basically mail them to yourself or send them <laughs> to yourself instantly, wherever you uh, want. Because there's technologies like uh, SCP, which is secure. Well, you wouldn't yep. be able to use SCP, but you could FTP, you could uh, R-Sync, I think. Right. I mean, just so many ways that you can get the data off of the machine push it somewhere else and you have access to all those files. Yeah. And so like in a, in a non-shared environment, which is all we have now, the only way to do that would be to host another database on the server or to have access to it. It's much, much harder to do because users don't have the ability to host some other file or to arbitrarily write code that calls a plugin on a file. So the only people who can do that are pretty much full access users and therefore inside the trust circle. Yeah. Anyway, we don't need to nerd out about the security, but it is a, it is a slight issue. What would be cool would be if FileMaker would at some point come out with like a script step that says perform JavaScript. Yes. I have no idea if that's coming, but well, I think function it's probably would extremely be extremely requested feature. A function, uh, or you think, you think a calculation would be better than a script step? Well, they could do both because they're allowing plugin developers to do both now. And some of the plugin mm -hmm. developers, they have both the function and a script step. Mm -hmm. But Works ideally, it would be a function. Yeah, okay, good. Because then you can execute it anywhere within the context of a script, but also within the context of any other place that you have access to the engine. Well, FileMaker's not super fast to do such things, but they did fully implement JSON and beautifully. So um, I, I have faith. So, so you've got one example of a JavaScript thing, which is really what you guys implemented internally uh, and are going to release as a developer utility. But that's not really like, that's not really what I mean by, um, by you know, daily use, like fully accepted like for example, JSON is a fully accepted everyday thing um, that that would be used in most databases. Well, I'll, and I don't uh, think JavaScript is at that point, and and will be at that point for a while. Well, I think it's also a matter of what your personal resources are. For example, um, there's a uh, developer. I'm going to open up my uh, tweet deck right now and see if I can get his name and get it right. Uh, I think it's Osama. Um, See if I can find it down here without making everybody wait too much. He posts little tips about JavaScript, and I want to hmm. make sure. And a lot of them are really cool little things. One of the, the things that he posted recently, I turned into a snippet of reusable code, and because it's something that I've been doing in FileMaker that is completely hackish, which is a color <laughs> picker. Mm -hmm. So in FileMaker, a color picker you have to, the only way you can make a little color picker is if you make um, a container that you can select into, I believe I'm going to say this right, something that you can select into where you can right-click on a piece of text. That piece of text allows you to gain option to change the color of that text. And because you're changing the color of the text, you can then use FileMaker's Get As SVG in order to look at the hex value of that color of text that you applied. that <laughs> It mm -hmm. is such a freaking hack to a native thing that you want in all software. I mean, in all software, when is there a case that somewhere in some solution, you don't want to be just be able to choose a color? Well, in right. FileMaker, the only way to choose a color other than that now is via a web viewer. Well, I mean, you can choose a color, just like you said, if you want to colorize a field like a text or something, you can do that. Um, or, if, or if you're going to give the user a pre-fixed set of colors, you can just get those hex values in advance and say, this is green, this is blue, this is red. Yeah. I mean, uh, other yeah. than that, you're, you're having to build a color picker when there are color pickers that are available. Every OS has a native color picker, but FileMaker uh, yeah, does exactly. not have that exposed. 
So what? You have to now create a card window and you're going to create a portal and you're going to represent, I don't know, 256 colors. You've got to put those in a table. That's not data specific to your solution. You're well, just I mean, wanting a user to pick a color. I totally get that. But FileMaker does have a color picker exposed. It's just only available to colorize a given block of text in a given field. Correct. So you, you mean like a different kind of a color picker? Yeah, like a, a like color a, picker whenever you're wanting the user to, I don't know, pick a, a color for, you know, how they want something to appear within the UI. You just want right. to let somebody make a selection of a color. Yeah. That's your first mistake, but go ahead. <laughs> well, it's really easy with JavaScript. I mean, with JavaScript, I think uh, in a web viewer, it's there's a single, a single two or three lines of code that will do a that will access the OS native color picker, and you make the selection, and it'll instantly give you the the hex value back, ready to I'm use trying, in FileMaker. I totally get that. I'm trying to think of anything that I do that lets me pick a color that I give a damn about, other than <laughs> Like I want dark mode versus light mode on the Mac and obviously dark mode. Hello. Um, in Slack and like on Google, you can pick sort of a theme, but you can't customize it. You can't say, no, I want a slightly richer or whatever color of green. There's not a single thing I use that allows me to pick a color that I care about. So is I'm, this solving a problem that no, problem? I'll grant you that this is a, this is a, a lower, um, a lower frequency of use. Mm -hmm. But I mean, for me, FileMaker is just so close to being a feature complete solution. Mm. I just wish so much that they would be like, okay, we're going to get the best of the best yeah. advice and we're just going to do what those developers are saying we should do. <laughs> I mean, obviously they have their own internal objectives, but for example, right now, everything in, in, what drives the look and feel of a FileMaker database is using a standardized core technology, CSS. And the only difference mm -hmm. between FileMaker and what the web does is in the web, you have full access to make whatever changes you want to that CSS. Right. And in FileMaker, you have to really hack to get to it. And in FileMaker, you are going through their gateway. What mm -hmm. is their gateway? It is the inspector. If FileMaker does not expose it, then you can't do anything to it. Now, what if in a world where FileMaker said, you know what, let's just make it easier on ourselves and on the developers. Let's keep the inspector there, but we're going to fully expose the CSS through a script step, through a command, whatever it is. But mm -hmm. developers can now read and write directly to the CSS and they can control all kinds of things. Well, all of a sudden now, if conditional formatting, which currently does not allow you to change the color of a line around a, uh, an object, mm -hmm. well, now you would be able to change the color of individual sides of the line, each border right. individually. Uh, you could do so many things, and this is yeah. so in line with where they're trying to head by having a web-native uh, feature that people get exposed to first. I would just do that if I yeah. was file, if I was running FileMaker, I'd say, okay, guys, we've put in the right technology, we put in the right standard, but we don't have it exposed. Let's expose it. Well, twenty or thirty years ago, you used to work there. Why don't you just get a job there again? <laughs> Be in charge of all this stuff. <laughs> I because I don't think it works. I, I don't know yeah. uh, decisions through committee. Sometimes it's nicer to have a. I know this may not come off well, but sometimes it's better to have a benevolent dictator and say, this is what we're doing than it is to get, you know, 20 or 30 people to all agree on something because everybody's got their own idea. You know, it's really funny, like the benevolent dictator versus a democracy thing is having traveled around the world and been to places where there's, I don't even know if I would say a benevolent dictator. <laughs> I'm, I'm using the example of Turkey because I went to Istanbul last year. Yeah. And the number of things that function perfectly in Turkey, the quality of the roads is the best quality of roads I've ever driven anywhere in the world. Like the new ones that they're building, it's just, just unbelievable. It's like you're on a, um, you know, ice. It's just so smooth. Ah, yeah. Trash just... delivery is trash delivery just seems perfect. <laughs> the trash, the trucks are quiet. They're there every day. There's just kind of no issues behind it. I mean, you know, you can't drink the water. There's definitely some things that are not great, but. Yeah, uh, sometimes you just have too many cooks in the kitchen and you just got to, 
you got to, I don't know, you take yeah. input, you filter through it, and then you have a couple of chefs make the executive decisions, go with it. And yeah, you just, you're I mean, hoping that those are the decisions that make what you're cooking successful. Right. And it kind of gets, yeah, one, one person driving it, <clears throat> of course, you know, to finish my thing on Turkey, Erdogan, the president isn't necessarily popular for a lot of other very good reasons. Um, uh, you know, know nothing you, about internet Turkey, is but... not internet. Internet is not, uh, unrestricted there. It's some things are blocked. So mm. anyway, um, no place is perfect. But True. I do totally agree with you that having um, like one cook, one master chef saying this is what we're going to do uh, is frequently better than a committee fighting each other and not making progress. Yeah. But they are they so, have been making good progress. I mean, their their model of doing their um, small or smaller releases is paying off. I mean, little by little. You know, that's one of the things I that was one of the other topics that I wanted to talk to you about was whether we thought on balance those small releases are good and whether they're hard to maintain, whether there's compatibility problems. I um, am hearing in the uh, in the grapevine, I am hearing like grumbles from people here and there. There's actually been more than one or two people that they've come back and I don't know, I guess I'm the theming guy on some things, but certain things that used to work don't work or like a portal all of a sudden lost its association via the relationship and won't work. And I don't know if that's caused by the solution mm. itself, corruption server and its hosting of it or mm. changes that have happened in the small uh, V releases, you know, mm -hmm. going from nine, four, one to nine, four, two, if something broke something and they don't know it because uh, regression testing wasn't super exhaustive. I don't know. Yeah. I haven't heard a bunch of that stuff in terms of the small things, but, but it does seem like since the features are smaller with each version, uh, that it's actually making less progress year over year. I hope that gets fixed because they also made a huge change from waterfall to, um, agile, agile, the word jumped right out of my head, um, which obviously is a great change because almost all FileMaker developers have been using agile forever. Um, for successful projects that's you know we it's even smaller than that frequently we just do development live on a hosted database um <laughs> which isn't yeah, that, necessarily that, a good idea it's a sea change internally uh for claris to develop that way and i think it's going to take some time to adapt and really come up with a faster way to do it yeah um so more about JavaScript, right? So the, the add-ons are obviously a great JavaScript function that just came, uh, was that 19 or was that 18? It's I 19. I never can remember when things, yeah, 19.01. It, it feels, it's funny, you, you, what you just did is exactly what I end up doing too, is like, when did this release? Oh, this has all still been 19. Because you get right. these little changes and you don't have that mental jump from one big version to another big version of when that thing came yeah, out. Yeah, totally. And the first one was 19.0, so now one, two, three, four now. Um, and I don't know when we're going to have a 20 and what that's going to look like, or is it going to be 19.36 in a bunch of years from now? Um, uh, anyway, I was saying, so there's that, there's those JavaScript um, add-ons that are great, right? Calendar, Gantt chart, or maybe it's not Gantt chart, but like... Um, uh, the, the timer that starts and stops the time, which is pretty sweet, and all the other ones that are really well implemented. Um, even a chart one. Although the chart one just makes me want more, so I go out and find another way to do that, <laughs> JavaScript-based. <laughs> um, yep. But that's actually serving a great purpose, you know. Yeah, I but, actually, so add-ons is a good, that's a good topic in and of itself. Mm -hmm. How often do you find yourself using them, you know, where you're going to rely on that functionality and you're putting it into a FileMaker solution? Or is it just something that you've decided, oh, I'll, I'll taste this, look at it, oh, it looks pretty cool, but then you don't actually end up using it in terms of how mm -hmm. it's currently implemented? That's a good question. And since almost all of the solutions I work on are pretty mature, we've already solved all the problems that are solved by add-ons. Mm-hmm. And so we play with them and don't really implement them. 
But I think for I would I would think that for a lot of new projects, you'd be go, oh, I need a calendar. Great, I'll put that one in. Oh, I you know, and you would just start with them. I think it's much easier to start with them than move to them. I would be really interested to know. I mean, I I don't know that I don't think they have anything uh, with regards to metrics in terms of knowing how and how much people are using add-ons. And I'm, I say that because I don't see any mm-hmm. callbacks. I run a reverse uh, firewall that I can see yeah. things going out when apps make requests. So yeah. nothing ever calls back to FileMaker or Claris when you install mm-hmm. an add-on. So I don't know that they know, but it would be interesting to me to know what the adoption is because me personally... I was very excited about them and what they presented in terms of code reuse, but because mm-hmm. of the how they were implemented, I don't use them at all. Got it. So, for example, if I want a Gantt chart, I will go learn from an add-on and borrow and take the, the JavaScript libraries that they used and then put that in. And it's primarily because of two reasons of how they implemented uh, and one of them, I know that mm. it would be extremely hard to solve, but the other reason they would have been able to solve it, and they, in my opinion, they shouldn't have done it that way. The first mm-hmm. one is versioning. So once you put a, mm. a, an add-in on your solution, That's if it. there's an update or enhancements to it, you cannot get a newer version and reliably trust that that's going to come in and replace what has been there. Because any tweaks or modifications totally. to the add-on, forget it. You're it's they don't yeah because they don't match so they're yeah, not it sandboxed it, absolutely because it makes a table yep and you could add or delete fields from the table or rename them so if a new version of the add-on came out what would it do how would it how would it deal with that right so exactly. that's kind of by necessity by the way i have to say though if you by being inspired by an add-on for a gantt chart and you go find your other way i would call that a success for the add-on feature for yeah from an education standpoint absolutely yeah and so you know, I don't, they don't necessarily have to be implemented and used as they are if well, they actually inspire developers to go do, use the same techniques. And then there's a the whole second thing, right? You can make your own add-ons. And I think that's going to be the bigger part of it. I think that's uh, way too confusing for even in between some intermediate going up into advanced. Having gone through it hmm. uh, myself, mm-hmm and made a couple of add-ons, I think you're talking about less than 1% of all FileMaker developers that are taking the time to learn how to make add-ons. Well, I guess I'm not saying for developers to do that themselves, because I've made a few too. We've taken our free utilities and add-onized them. Um, and I think it's that, right? It's all the the large community that has little things. Um, well, you mentioned earlier, like a color picker. You could, you could make that an add-on if you wanted to. Um, well, see, that's number two. My first issue was the versioning. Yeah. My number two was the way that they implemented it is it is a wholesale add-in rip-out. They right. did not treat the add-in, the add-on functionality as a code transport mechanism. In other words, a way to get, because FileMaker, you have multiple pieces of things that, that create a whole. In order mm-hmm. for me to have a particular feature, I have to have a collection of some custom functions, some scripts, some layout objects, some relations, and mm-hmm. you know whatever else goes in order to complete that feature. Mm-hmm. Well, the add-on comes in wholesale, and if you determine, I like this code, but I want it in a slightly different way, first off, the add-ons, the way that FileMaker released them, they're very obscure. You, In order to get in and understand how an add-on works and then how the JavaScript was implemented is very hidden and very hard to find <laughs> out. So it, it totally. they weren't simple. But then if you want to use it, even if you figure out how to use it, when you get what they added in out, it just rips the whole thing out. And yeah. so you can't even use parts of the code. It's just all in, all out. And right. Well, I mean, if there was a flag that said, when you add this add-on, you cannot remove it which would have then allow you to rely on the tables and custom functions and layouts or whatever from other things and know that know that no developer can remove it, thus profoundly breaking solutions of the parts of the solution they didn't intend to break. I think that would be a good change, but it's not something we're seeing in the current version. Yeah. Um, no, it definitely needs some, some heavy tweaking because I know that they're relying on that functionality for what they're doing coming up. 
because hmm. their their upcoming FileMaker, you know, the MongoDB stuff that they're doing and the web UI, that initially implements and uses the add-on functionality in order to have JavaScript features. So JavaScript being a little bit more complex than FileMaker, obviously they can obscure it, put it in this package called an add-on. The add-ons are added there behind the scenes. If everything you do is through their new web UI, you never experience that code on the back end. But from yep. a developer on the back end, if you if you start using a solution and it's got add-ons, but that add-on isn't something that can be updated or upgraded by being able to, you know, have some type of newer version of that. Well, I'm going to now go in and I'm now going to customize and tweak this. Well, to me, that just obviated the need of an add-on. I would rather just put that functionality in myself, mm. be familiar mm. with the implementation, and then be able to update and, in, and enhance as needed. Not be something that somebody else created, because it's always a learning lesson when you have to learn somebody else's code and just be like, okay, I'll, I'll just fix it when it needs to be fixed. Oh, you're asking for a maintenance nightmare right there. Because yes. you're now, I have to, the current add-ons, and it's no, this is no slight against Todd, but I have to go learn how Todd Geis and uh, Jeremy programmed the current add-on for uh, the Kanban cards. Right. So... And, and they're really smart and they used all the tricks, you know, they didn't, oh, yeah. they didn't like make it simple. They made it. No, they used powerful. a react, <laughs> they used yeah. node and a react builder in order to build these things. And it's probably cause they had to use, I think it's, they're called shims or whatever. Uh, maybe they didn't have to use it, but things that would work on the Macintosh won't work on windows. And so you have to, that's mm. what react does. It abstracts these things so that it injects code that what will work on the Mac that doesn't work on windows react will make it so that it works on both platforms equally. And mm. they had to do that purely because of the cross platform nature of FileMaker. Yep. What about iOS too? I wonder, uh, iOS has got its WebKit, So it's probably is equivalent to what happens on the Mac. Oh yeah. That makes sense. So, cause it's all within the Apple realm. So, so, so you're doing some consulting and I, you're obviously building developer tools in the consulting work that you do and the other people that you talk to, how much JavaScript is there in those solutions? Uh, that that's funny that you ask, actually, there is one little project that I just had a request to do, which was a, a parser. They're looking at a web page that shows up in a web viewer and they're parsing all of that. They want to get the data out of it, scrape it and put it in. Well, somebody else had developed it and it broke. Well, they don't have anybody who knows JavaScript on staff and they themselves didn't know it. So somebody has to know JavaScript in order to actually do that. And really some parsing in FileMaker, not only is it going to be slower, but it's lacking a lot of the functionality that you have in a language that's more robust like JavaScript. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah, you've been able to do that, right? Web scraping has been around since the day of the first day of the web viewer. Yeah. But, um, but yeah I mean, you can always dumb. look at HTML. HTML is patterned text. You can look for mm -hmm. the patterns and pull out what you want. But it's not a true, uh, it doesn't parse the whole DOM, whereas in JavaScript... Right simply loading the jQuery library onto a web page automatically rips through that whole thing. And then you can find exactly what you want. Yep. It does uh, make more sense. Okay. So that's one solution, but I mean, I guess what I'm trying to think is, you know, at AppWorks we had, I don't know, a hundred ish customers. And I'm trying to think of even one. No, there's definitely a handful of them that had core parts of their solution be JavaScript but it wasn't the rule. It was definitely, it was definitely on the leading edge. Well, if again, if I was FileMaker, quite honestly, there are things that they are dragging along behind them, and I know I've said this before, that they have to maintain that should be replaced. Anything to do with charting, I would throw my hands up if I was Claris and say, we tried charting, but that was years ago, rip it out. Because Java, they will never be able to implement oh, yeah. natively what you can do charting-wise with JavaScript. So go ahead, adopt that, leverage that whole community, figure out how to make it even easier to implement 
JavaScript libraries. I mean, I have many ideas where they could. Literally, they yeah. could make a, a new area in FileMaker where you just load in JavaScript libraries that you want to use, and they're available solution-wide that you can make a call to through these new functions that they that they make available. Charting now I would, is I just wouldn't even do that. Awesome. I, I agree with you that charting is silly, but if they took it out of the product, then a whole bunch of solutions would break. Exactly. So I don't know if they can do that. They've never really done that and got away with it. Um, I would go further to say, now that we have tools like Google Data Studio, um, I would never do charting in FileMaker. It's just, it's so much more powerful and user-friendly and uh, adaptable and, um, gosh, every other rebel that I could think of. But what FileMaker really ought to do is just build a way that Data Studio can directly connect to FileMaker, which it can't right now. It can connect to many, many other things, but the only way to get it, uh, the only easy way to do it is to have FileMaker like export a spreadsheet and then copy and paste the data over to a Google Sheet or yeah. some other utility to update a Google Sheet, but there's no direct connection. Um, there's a, there's a do lot that. of little things like that. The, yeah. there, for example, one of the things I just recently hit was um, you want to use a public service like If This Then That or Zapier mm -hmm. or something, and you sure. want to get the data from what that service will do for you into FileMaker. Well, FileMaker doesn't have a thing called a pre-shared key, which is basically when, you know, if I'm going to give you a password or a passcode, only you and I have that. I have pre-shared mm -hmm. to you the key. Well, the only way that from FileMaker's data API currently works is with a token-based system. Yep. So you Two have calls. to go through a third party right now. There's no way for FileMaker to simply say, I want to take direct input from a webhook like if this, then that. Mm -hmm. They could solve that. The, in the security window, you could, on any given privilege set, say, I'm going to set up a pre-shared key and you create your, you construct your own algorithm in order to um, obscure that. Whether oh yeah, you're, that totally would be the place to put it too. Whether you're that? hashing or whatever. And then mm -hmm. you just go over to if this, then that. And you're going to say, okay, anytime that there's a post on Reddit that deals with this particular stock, use this webhook, communicate directly to FileMaker server so that the data can be captured. You can't do mm -hmm. that currently. You have to go through something like node red or write something custom in yeah, node. I would think Claris Connect could probably do some of that, maybe all of that. No, can Claris Connect, connect can do that. And they would prefer that you would use Claris Connect probably. Mm -hmm. But not everybody's going to use Claris Connect. So you're limiting yeah. your audience now to only those people who choose to buy your alternative product. Which, right. quite honestly, a lot of people are going to be choosing if this, then that. Or uh, Zapier yeah. because they're more robust and have more connections. Yeah, and yeah, the Claris Connect licensing is quite expensive. Um, they've definitely fixed part of it, um, but it's still, you know, a thing. Whereas if this and that or Zapier do have licensing, but it's much less expensive. Yeah, I'll, I'll I've got no comment on that currently. <laughs> Other than the one Comments that's on under it. my breath. If you want adoption, give it away. Yeah, well, <laughs> if you want adoption, it comes with your FileMaker license. I, I do agree with you. I don't think that's at all something we should uh, uh, be quiet about. The problem um, is we don't know what their what their R and D resources are for how much they're going to spend on uh, you know Claris Connect and versus how much. I think like when yeah, I say they, post, they, they have should to rip out it, charting, right? I think they should focus on their core and they should make the we are the the database aspect we're the data binding aspect the mm -hmm. ui we're going to start to hand that over to html css we're going to expose the full css we put the standard in let the developer leverage that i mean they could take a lot off their plate but it would require them to get rid of some things that would break some solutions but yeah. that's what you've got to do in a world where the world moves faster than you are you have to say okay yeah. You can still use your old solutions, but starting at FileMaker 20, if you were relying on the old charting, we have taken that out because we no longer can spend the dollars necessary to continue to maintain and make sure that that feature works through regression testing and all right. that other mm -hmm. stuff. 
just move forward in a quickly moving tech world. I get it. I just think about like to the today function that existed in like FileMaker, I don't know, three. And at some version they changed that because there was no more today function. So they had some other thing that adapted and you can convert a solution today from FileMaker three and it'll rewrite yeah. that function and work. And you know, they've never had the courage to take something out in a way that it would break that I can think of. And quite honestly, but, that's that's both a benefit to them, but it's also a a, a bane to their technical existence. Because yep, yep, I worked I in I, two different environments. I worked in Drupal, where every new version of Drupal was completely willing to get rid of the old things that didn't work or that they did a completely right. new way. And basically, yeah, that, when you were going to upgrade, they would migrate the data, but functionally, it worked different. And so that was just, it was just a different philosophy. Mm -hmm. Whereas this, because FileMaker is the whole of the environment, I can see where they would have some potential snafus, but hey, it's okay to tell people, you know what? That was old. We're taking out the dial phone script step. If you're relying on it, you're going to find need to implement a different way. No, that one's back with iPhone. <laughs> when they came out with FileMaker Go, that ancient script step came back. I love that one so much. Um, Back on Claris Connect, if they followed a model like, say, Slack, where they gave it away for free with a lot of limitations, and yes, that does cost them some server costs and maintenance costs, they would totally buy adoption because I would start using it for a lot of things. Um, and then they'd have a version that, oh, if you want to, if you want to do more than 10,000 calls or whatever, um, Here's the pricing and you pay for it. And it would be a very, very different story than the current uh, adoption rate. Yeah. It's almost like, it's funny. I mean, obviously I'm lacking so much data because I'm not a CEO of a large company that's owned by an even larger company, which has, you know, mm -hmm. political pressure on you for whatever you do or however you do it. But, you know, if you're flexible and you're in this fast moving tech world, it's sort of like, okay. Let's just try this. Let's try this for a period of time. If it doesn't work out, then we'll go back to the old way. So I don't know if, if Brad would be able to make the decision. That, okay, you know, for 2023, FileMaker is going to be free to anyone who submits an application with this criteria. They get all these people. Obviously, you're going to get a percentage of people who are honest, a percentage of people who lie in order to get it for free. But hey, you get it out there. You don't look at what your lost revenue is. You look at your, you know, down the road, what is our adoption? Is it going to increase? Are we going to get more people because this person decided to try it over something else? Airtable, I, I don't know. I would bet you some of those things are in the works, but I'm not sure how they're going to pan out. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, since I have no, uh, I guess I've decided a long time ago that since I have no, uh, impact on what will happen in the platform that I just decided to love whatever comes my way and yeah. be excited about it, <clears throat> teach classes to share it. I started this training series um, at Direct Impact to do free classes every couple of weeks for an hour. And we're getting a ton of people signing up and just like looking at one thing, right? Just here's an intro to scripting. Here's an intro to layout design. Here's an intro to whatever. And I want to do a long series of them because they're really fun. Um, and then connect people to other training classes and, you know, to really just kind of share the love of that particular thing that I, that I enjoy. That's anyway, awesome. my plug. I always like doing that when I do it on, uh, YouTube every once in a while. And I would, I would love to see some of the code you're writing, like some of the databases you're doing for customers or internal use or whatever, to see the, some of the crazy things you're doing. <laughs> the direction I've been taking lately is try to get it more simple and more maintainable and more um like core use of things as opposed to super fancy tricky implementing mm. modern things but i do rely extremely heavily on json for so much stuff i do these days well interestingly enough most of the way that i implement new things is i honestly when it's when i know it's a major feature i don't actually develop it in the database where it's going to end up so like the menu mm. system, mm -hmm. um, I completely developed that separately in one file. And I do it intentionally that way because it makes that whole aspect a component. 
something yeah. that can be transportable code. I mean, this also lends into the tool that I'm developing with this other developer. It would be like an add-on, but basically all of those pieces that create a recipe, and I had created a database a little while back called uh, FM Recipes, which you would basically just follow a step-by-step -step thing in order to get a whole feature in. It allows me to, to basically ask myself questions like, how easy is this for me to implement a second time? Um, where can I make it such that the code is actually easier to manage? And here's a really good example. Mm -hmm. So in this menu system, when you create a FileMaker feature, that feature ends up having little pieces of it split across many different places. So in this menu system, we have this blob of JSON, and it's all managed within one global variable, right? Mm -hmm. So the global variable is named double dollar sign menu. Super simple. Mm -hmm. Here's what happens with a lot of FileMaker developers. They know that menu is a global variable. And let's say you have, I don't know, 10 or 15 different scripts that interact with this menu in order to make it work. Um, mm -hmm. well, let's just take a simple example of three scripts. Uh, there is add menu, remove menu, and update menu those three mm -hmm. scripts. So within those three scripts, you're going to be referencing that menu variable via what? A set variable step, right? Yep. Set variable menu. Mm -hmm. That is not a good way to code because you have to touch all three variables the very second that you decide, I don't want to call it double dollar sign menu anymore. I want to call it something else. Right, because so, there already was one called... I mean, you know. Yeah, if, if you move it into a solution where they're already using that variable, it doesn't work. So yep. you have to think in terms of, uh, I learned this in Java, getters and setters. So in FileMaker, if I'm ever going to reference a global variable, what I actually do is I create a custom function that is a wrapper just around that one global variable. So I have a custom function that is called menu data. Inside that custom function, what is the calculation? It is simply just double dollar signs menu. And in every script, all three of those, I don't reference when I'm getting from mm -hmm. the menu. I reference menu data. Now, for right. a setter, if I need to write to that global variable, I'm going to use a dedicated script. And that the name of that script is set menu. What does set menu do? It has one single, uh, two steps get script parameter, set this global variable. I now have the two places in the whole of this functionality where I modify what that global variable is. And I don't have the global variable <laughs> in multiple set variables across 20 different scripts. But you're really just kicking the, the ball down the field a few yards because if someone has a custom function called menu setter, now your thing is broken. Oh, that so, I'm not worried about because when FileMaker, when I copy or paste that in, FileMaker will add the word copy. And then all of the scripts will use the word copy and when they get copied in? No, I can, update when I you can, the you can temporarily rename the original function to what you want until you paste yeah. in your code and then rename it back to something else. Oh, that's true. So there's a way around it by that extra step. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Whereas there's not really if you use the... Yeah, in but, FileMaker, yeah. the great thing about copying and pasting code is that you can always name and rename because it uses its own internal references. That's what that's yeah. one of the most coolest things about FileMaker is refactoring is a yep. dream. I know. Yeah, and for everything that actually has, well, it's clear, is that they come in two groups. Custom functions, you cannot have two of them with the same name. Right. So those are protected. Fields in a given table, um, but scripts and layouts, you yeah. can have multiple scripts with the same name, multiple layouts with the same name, which can be confusing, um, but it's kind of nice too. Yep. Yeah. You can't have two tables with the same name. You can't have two table occurrences with the same name. So some of them are, are namespaced, you know, uh, anyway, so that, that has bearing on what you just mentioned, but yeah, I love that they're in, I love that sort of thinking about the philosophy of why they did it a certain way and how they really did get it right in most cases. Yeah. I mean, look, we've both been in FileMaker for like multiple decades. It is, yeah. it is a fabulous platform 
It's also a frustrating platform because you just want that little bit more out of it, especially when you get a taste of other things in other languages. But yeah. we're still here. <laughs> I don't feel old, but I'm just doing the math. And I think I'm coming up to 40 years. <laughs> when did I start with FileMaker? Like 85 or 86, something like that? Uh, I was FileMaker. Maybe it was a little later, 87? I don't know. I was 2.1 whenever that came out. Oh, I started way before that. I started with like Nashua, Nashoba, but not when it was a DOS thing because the very, very first version was actually DOS and then it moved to the Mac. Hmm. But I'm pretty sure I used it in the very 1.0 of the Mac version, like on a Mac SE. Jeez, not me. I was, uh, I think I was 90, I want to say 93 or something, 93, 94, 2.1. I'd have to Back look then at it Wikipedia so and see when it came out. Well, see, 2.1 was actually, um, that was when it was a real product, right? Yeah, it, the it, older it, versions, it was basically, it was so simple. It was a way you you'd keep track of your address book. It didn't really have the power, but 2.1 and then 3. And then um, when it went relational and the server stuff that we had in later versions, because I think three had server, but I don't know if two did. It wasn't quite the same. And early on, it was, you know, for a lot of that time, it was Mac only and it was local talk. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. It was the only platform you could run. And yeah, I mean, it's vague memories way back in the day, but going from local talk to Ethernet was a big change. <laughs> I think I even had some clients that ran it on Token Ring. <laughs> uh, yeah. All the. And all the telephone wires, they're all gone. I know. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh, but but all that history really doesn't matter because I love seeing what they do now, like really getting happy about things that are coming out with each new version that makes sense. And one of our future ones, we're going to talk about machine learning too. Maybe we'll get Chris Blight on that one because he's all about that. Mm, yeah. Because um, that's another one like leading edge, leading edge, or you know, every day. Um, I think that's I, as you get exposed to it, what what you need from the technology. I mean, AI is uh, it's not going to go anywhere, but you if you don't already have it implemented, you don't necessarily know what you're missing until you implement it. Then you implement, you're like, wow, I never knew this existed and, or I could do this. It, it's so easy. So Right. But but the examples that I've seen are like, oh, you sell mechanical parts and you want to be a way to upload a picture and identify the part or to take this text and to determine from this review, is it a good review or a bad review? And those are things that are not real world everyday examples that you need to do. What would be a real world example would be like, oh, take this address and use AI to compare it to the post office database to find the, the most probable right address and suggest it and be right 99.9% of the time. You know, that would be a real world example that I don't see yet. And those are the ones that I'm really dying for mm. in, mach in machine learning. Well, I mean, there's, I mean, there's going to be so many models of so many different things that you can do that, I mean, your imagination yeah, but like that, is the yeah, that example factor. you can't load, you know, you cannot load that model because the addresses change all the time. You really have to rely on some, you know, look up some live lookup of the, of all the data in the post office. Um, and they have, you know, there are ways to do that. Um, and they may use AI, but they don't, you're not using machine learning and FileMaker for that because it's just way too much data. Um, yeah. Training the model, I think is kind of what I'm getting to there. Yeah. And that's always situationally um, dependent unless you're doing something that's already, you know, pretty general, like translating a language or, you know, pulling the text out of a image file or something like that. Before we get too far afield, um, you were looking up the history of FileMaker and wondering when it first came out, did you find it? Oh, no, I didn't open Wikipedia. Oh, no worries. <laughs> um, we can talk about that next time too. Um, so based on all this discussion, do you agree with me that JavaScript is not an everyday use technology? <laughs> I would agree that it's... Uh, it's, I love messing with you. It's everyday use, dependent on what the current developer's, you know, mindset is. Like for me, hmm. for me, JavaScript is just something that if FileMaker is going to do this slower or not as capably, that's just the tool that's there that I use. 
Got it. But that's because I'm comfortable and familiar with it. If you're not comfortable and familiar with it, what you're going to do is you're still going to try to solve the problem in FileMaker, but that's because of ignorance. You don't know that it's easier in JavaScript because you're not practiced in JavaScript. So I think I, I would distill that this way. Some FileMaker developers know and like and use the while function, yeah, recursive custom functions, the let function, the case function, JavaScript, SQL, yeah, machine learning. And basically, the more of those tools you have that you can work with really, uh, actually, the execute SQL uh, calculation, some developers use them and like them, and some don't. And the more of them that you have in your quiver, the more stuff you're going to be able to do easily for your clients. Is that fair? Very, very fair. If, if, yes, if you don't know that you can have your FileMaker data on each row calculated via a stored calculation that automatically creates JSON, then use the list of summary function to have a full JSON array and then filter that with JavaScript using the JavaScript.filter method, finding exactly what you want out of that for display within a virtual list, then what you're going to do is use whatever other method you use in order to cherry pick pieces of information out of a list of records. Oh, I love that so much. You just, you just laid out a whole stack of technologies, almost all of which I'm really fluent in. But I would have to do some learning to really be good at this. And I think there's a lot of developers like me out there um, that need to learn a some number of those things. Well, thankfully, there's lots of ways to learn them. So, Oh, there's tons. I'll get on it. Tons and tons. Hey, it was 1993, FileMaker 2.1. Hmm, that's when you started? Yep. Well, that's 30 years next year. Oh, boy. And sometimes it just amazes me. It, it, it amazes me. I'm like, I am still in and using the same technology and making a living from it. And it's still going. Still going. I remember when I was like in my IT career early on, and there was programmers who were working on this stuff that had been using it for 30 years. You know, I can't even remember the languages now, but, you know, mainframe basically, because in early in my IT career, we had mainframes at our companies, you know, uh, five megabyte hard drives, the size of dishwashers <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and a, a dedicated server room that, you know, with HP 3000s or whatever. I'm glad you didn't <laughs> uh, pull out the word punch cards. Uh, no, not quite. <laughs> I actually do remember that, but I think it was like, it's just seeing how they work, but they weren't actually in production anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, but that was, that was definitely the really big reel-to-reel -reel magnetic tape backup type things. And nice. Well, um, word an hour. Should yeah, we roll pick, out? Right. Um, yeah, we could roll out. We don't need to get too far into nostalgia. All righty. Well, we'll uh, we need more sound that, effects. That's too. not. That's my. Uh, is that my? That's not my. That's the intro one. That's my outro right there. Right. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. I think this, this is also the. Uh, I think this is also the intro to my magazine site. I never oh, really made file a maker all the time. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to <laughs> FM Radio. All right, buddy. Always a good uh, opportunity to talk with you. And uh, next time, more FileMaker. We both have Calendly. There is no excuse. Till then. All right.